Hi, welcome to another edition of the 19th Hole Golf Show. I'm Ryan Belge. Good to have you here with us after a little break, including a vacation in Myrtle Beach. You can get a hold of me on Twitter at Ryan Balangie. You can get a hold of Golf News Net every which way on your favorite social media service at the handle Golf News Net. And you can find all of our work on GolfNewsNet.com as well. Download our apps for Roku TV and Amazon Fire TV. Apple TV still in the works. We're presented by BetDSI.com. They've been in business for over 20 years paying winners. They are an A-plus rated sports book and you can use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash on their easy-to-use mobile interface. Uh, they offer everything, odds on everything, including golf, special matchups, props, in-game action. They also offer odds on pretty much everything else you can think of. Sports, politics, reality, TV, some WWE. If you know me on Twitter, you know I'm a fan of that. You can use the promo code GOLFNEWS25 and get a free $25 wager just for registering. And if you decide to deposit, you would get a 200% bonus match on your money. Once again, go to BetDSI.com, use the promo code GOLFNEWS25, and get a free $25 wager on the house and that 200% extra bonus when you deposit. All right, so as I mentioned, we were in Myrtle Beach last week. Uh, my family and I take a annual vacation, usually in October, usually to Myrtle Beach. Uh, we have family down there. Uh, all of us kind of like to go down there and get together and had a great chance to play one of my kind of bucket list type courses, and one of those is True Blue. True Blue and Caledonia are two Mike Strands courses, and they're together, and they're very different. Uh, Caledonia is kind of tighter, a little bit more target golf-oriented, and I think True Blue is a better reflection of Strands' philosophy, especially as it blossomed over the course of his career. A little bit more emblematic, I think, of what you see at Tobacco Road, which is Probably his piece de resistance, uh, his best his best work, and True Blue is relatively wide open. It's you can play about seven thousand yards from the back. I played a couple boxes up because I didn't want to trudge very far with the people I'm playing with. I play with Mitch Lawrence and his wife Ava, who are fantastic. Play with my father-in-law, and they all played up a few boxes. So I didn't want to walk seventy-five yards on every hole just to get to the back box and play. So I played up a little bit, enjoyed it a little bit more, I think, playing up anyway. So the the golf course is fairly wide open. And that's kind of, uh, that's why I, the more I kind of got through the course, my, my initial thought was this is what set up the second golden age of golf course architecture. And guys like Gil Hans are, are in that conversation, obviously. Corn Crenshaw, Doak, you can kind of go down the line. Mike DeVries, they're up and coming guys who are you're going to hear about in five and ten years who are who are that even follow on to that. And it, this was kind of the blueprint for what you're seeing now or what you've seen at uh, Bandon with with David McLeod Kid too, who's doing a killer job with Mammoth Dunes up at Sand Valley, and you, you see kind of the setup. Okay, wide. 
wide playing areas. Not everything needs to be rough. Not everything needs to be trees. You can have wide fairways, and you can have sand catch your bad shot. So it doesn't really roll very far out of the way. There is a little bit of a penalty to hitting a bad shot, but you could still hit a decent sand shot and advance the ball pretty far, if not get to the green from from good sand, the way that they've developed these bunkers. And they're not really truly bunkers and more hard pan, so if you, you can hit down one of them, you can advance the ball almost like you would from a fairway if you, if you know how to play that shot. And just throughout, wide playing areas, hit the ball pretty much where you want. So for the average player or a player who isn't all that good, it's great because you're going to hit a lot of fairways and you're going to find yourself in the short grass often, which you don't typically experience on a more classically designed golf course. You find yourself in the rough a lot or, in, or hitting around trees and it it isn't very pleasant experience to do that a bunch of times over the course of a round versus when you get out into these kinds of courses that I, I would argue Strance is a huge influence. You get, and, and McKenzie, and McKenzie's playing areas are amazing too, but but I think Strance is a, a modern influence. And you get out there and you go, wow, I, I could not have missed this. I could not have missed this fairway. But then you have to hit your approach shot or a layup on the par fives. The par fives are particularly long at True Blue. They're 600 yards from my box. I mean, they could have been 650 from the back box. And you're, so you're hitting layups and you're hitting second shots and you're looking at these green complexes going, okay, well, they're relatively generous. I mean, there, there were a couple that were fairly small, but they're relatively generous, but they're angled in such a way that you got to hit a really, really good shot to be able to get close. But you can hit the green or you can at least get to the, the complex par- fairly easily. And I think that was the thing I loved most about playing True Blue was uh, even when I had a bad hole, and I had a few over the course of the round, you could still find your way near the green. And if you played the intelligent shot, you had a decent chance of getting up and down. If you played pretty well off the tee and you hit a pretty good approach shot, you found the green and you had a chance. And the green complexes all had a unique, each had a unique character to them. They didn't all feel the same. The par threes, uh, I talked about the par fives being long, and they were interesting. But as I kind of said when I reviewed Sand Valley over at GolfNewsNet.com, I thought that was the best set of par fives I've ever played. This felt like one of the best sets of par threes I've ever played. Each hole had a, a purpose. It had a unique challenge off the tee. And the green complexes were the most mind-blowing on the course. I mean, you had we started on 10. We got to 14, which is the first or second second par three. The first was a two-tier green surrounded on three, well, really four sides uh, by sand. It was a generous green, but if you kind of hit the wrong tier, you, you kind of had a difficult putt. It was a good hole, straightforward, but a really good 150, 170-yard hole. 14 was one of the coolest par threes I've ever played because it was kind of a a 180-degree amphitheater tee. And you got a back tee too, but it was basically the same length shot no matter where you walked along this kind of amphitheater tee. Almost, if you've ever been to Orange County National in the Orlando area, so if you've ever been to the PGA Merchandise Show, or you've played there, or you've been in Q School, or you've experienced in some way, you know their range is a 360 degree range, and you're hitting into the middle, and it's the same length shot. I mean, if, to hit to the middle, it's just you're hitting in a circle. Well, you're hitting kind of in a half circle, maybe even a third circle, 
won this hole, and the shot is the same. It's a 120-yard shot pretty much no matter what. Depending on where the pin is, you could have some variations on that. But it was kind of an infinity-shaped green, you know, the infinity symbol where you have kind of two circles connected to each other, a figure-eight shape. So you had a really thin portion in the middle, and so Ava hit from her tee box. Her shot was about 115 yards. Mitch and my father-in-law hit from their tee box. It was about 120 yards. I hit from my tee box. It was about 120 yards. The difference was angle. So for me, I had the toughest angle in. I had least space to bail and hit a, an okay shot and hit the green. Those guys could bail to the right and hit a pretty large swath of green. Ava had more of a straight-on shot. It was a brilliant piece of design, and it didn't require distance. It just required space to create interesting shots. Four very different shots, all very interesting, all with a different challenge. Based on your skill level, it was so cool. Um, there were some features. The, the one that kind of caught my attention was on the front nine. Other, This is a par five. was on the ninth hole. It's a shorter par five. If I had played from a couple tees back, I, I would have hit driver. But hit two iron down basically to avoid this kind of marshland type setup that wasn't a forced carry the entire way to the green, but it was a forced carry into the layup zone. And normally I'm not a fan of forced carries, especially off the tee, because it's just not what amateurs prefer. But the way the forced carry was set up with the second shot, you could easily get over it and leave yourself 100 yards into the green. It wasn't that complicated of a shot. But it required you to think more about your drive, especially if you were a long hitter. It was placement that mattered. And you could still get to the green in two. I had a, a six iron in. And even if I had a good driver, I still would have had six or five iron in. So you could still get there, but the placement mattered. And if you were in a bad spot off the tee, maybe if you bailed out left because it was a dog leg right, you had to consider your layup. You had to consider how far you needed to carry. And I thought that was a unique challenge on a par five. I'd never seen that before. A lot of stuff I'd never seen before. Beach bunkers in the United States. Uh, if you were a fan of Japanese golf, uh, you've probably seen beach bunkers where... You have a bunker that kind of just rolls gently into a into a water hazard. And there's literally water up to the edge. And it's by design. It's not because the water level is low. It's because it's by design. You can get in there and you can either play out of the water if you have to, but you can play out of the bunkers that kind of line the water. It is a gorgeous feature. It, it's not necessarily the most practical because you can't play out of every beach bunker, but it was such a cool experience. Uh, check out Instagram, Golf News Net on Instagram. I posted probably a dozen pictures from my round there. If you get a chance, take a look at it. Um, a lot of people responded on Twitter as well, said I should go check out Caledonia. That is on the, the list for next time. There's Heritage Club, which is right across the street, which is mostly a Strance-influenced design. People told me to go check that out. I'd heard that as well. So uh, I'm starting to try, especially as we kind of work more with the, the Golf Getaways guys, Mitch and Darren Bunch, and you should listen to their podcast, Talking Golf Getaways, that I, I, I've always been a fan of architecture, but they actually go out and experience it. And they experience it and appreciate it. And I, I'm trying, as I get a little bit older, to do that, to go out and go try these new places, go see these places that are, are spectacular and interesting and unique, and be able to appreciate them because they, they are different. They are standouts. Um, we're going to try and do something similar, albeit in a different 
era of design. Uh, we're going to go down to Belmont Golf Course down in Rico County, Virginia, which is in the Richmond area, because actually the good good guys at the Fried Egg, Andy Johnson, who has become a fantastic architecture expert, insider, however you want to describe it, but he had noticed that the municipal authorities in Enrico County, or the county authorities, I should say, were considering changing the course. They were considering a redesign that might blow up this publicly accessible Tillinghast golf course, which is crazy to think about. Uh, you think that's something, especially with the, the movement that we're in to restore original designs to their classic shape, to their, their look, getting rid of trees, making them look as they were intentionally, originally built. And then you think about a, a public authority going, all right, well, we're just going to blow this thing up and, and redo it. And you go, no, no, don't do that. So fortunately, there's been some kind of stay of execution, basically, for this golf course. And we're going to go down there and try and play it. Golf Advisor does not give it the best reviews for its conditioning, but I think if we get a t chance to go down there and take a look at the architecture, I think we're going to love it. So we're going to try and do that in the next couple of weeks. But we've still got plenty of golf to pay attention to, and we've got a big tournament in South Korea this week. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about ZipRecruiter. If you are in need of great talent for your business, but you are short on time, and uh, someone who runs their own business, I am one of those people, you don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You need the right tools, smarter tools. What if hiring could be easier, more streamlined, less time-consuming? So even when you're busy, you can still be smart about the way you hire. And if you're hiring, you know the quality hires keep your business moving forward. But you also know it can take a lot of time to find the right candidate for the job. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates in their database about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them for you. You can even get a head start on the interview process by adding screening questions to your job post to identify the most qualified candidates. So it's no wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. The easy-to-use ZipRecruiter dashboard lets you manage your hiring process from start to finish, thumbs up, thumbs down, depending on who you like. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Right now, listeners to the 19th Hole Golf Show can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. For free. So go to ZipRecruiter.com slash 1919. Not spell out 19. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash 1919. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash 19. So other than my personal golf adventures, as I mentioned, we still have PGA Tour golf going on because the new season is still underway. And last year, I was kind of looking at the podcasts we had done over the last year. I, I occasionally get sentimental and kind of look at the old material that we've done. And as part of that, I noticed that we did a podcast last year that I think I titled, Why Are We Still Playing Golf This Time of Year? Now, it was in November. It was not in October. But the point about it was that we have a lot of golf on the PGA Tour. We have a, lot, we have a global golf calendar where you could basically find a golf tournament of importance on a major tour 12 months out of the year. 
that's crazy talk other than you know Christmas kind of the general holiday season you can find a golf tournament to watch there's no reason uh, to not watch something if you want to watch a golf tournament and so the PGA Tour season kicked off with the Safeway Open we're still thinking about the folks out in California in Napa and Sonoma counties they're dealing with the the wake of those terrible fires but the PGA Tour has moved on they moved to Asia they moved to the CMB Classic in Kuala Lumpur, which has been an annual stop. It kind of really started the true nature of an Asian swing because it was paired with the, the HSBC champions, which finally became an official event a handful of years ago. And these two events work in tandem as official events. Now there's a third event, and that's this week, the CJ Cup at Nine Bridges Club. It is a $9.25 million purse. So it is on level with FedEx Cup playoff events in terms of purse, actually, maybe higher, and it's on level with WGC events in that 9 million range, 9 million plus range. And it's a 78-player, no-cut event in South Korea, on Juju Island, at this prestigious golf club, Nine Bridges, which actually, apparently, according to Jim Herman, who's in the field, has eight bridges, nonetheless. It is a fantastic-looking golf course, and this is the first year for the event. You got about 20 to 22, I forget what the final count is, of the world top 50 in the field, and no wonder. I mean, how do you turn down what is effectively a World Golf Championship-style event uh, with no cut and guaranteed payday? you you got to do it, and it's remarkable that they, they kind of went down into the 100s on FedEx Cup points to get people to play in this event. Again, it's the time of year. Part of it is, you know, guys just came off a President's Cup or a long playoffs. Guys like Jordan Spieth, who I, I'm pretty sure is going to play the HSBC champions, they got to find spots somewhere to not play golf. There needs to be a, a space in there where you say, okay, I'm going to take three weeks off. And... The guys that are at the top of the world ranking are afforded that, that possibility. They can say, at some point in the year, wherever they need their breaks, I need two weeks off, I need three weeks off, and then I'm going to come back refreshed, and it's going to be awesome. I'm going to play my good golf again. And those guys can do that, but you've still got really good players in this field. You've got Justin Thomas in this field, Paul Casey, Jason Day, Cabrera Bayo. Uh, you can kind of go down the line a little bit. Matt Kuchar, Deki Matsuyama, not a part of it. They're over in Japan. Uh, they're playing an event with a $267,000 first place prize, but uh, they get plenty of sponsor money to play those events. Or, you know, obviously in Matsuyama's case, being from Japan, playing those events is a big deal for him. Uh, he's made that a priority in the last several years, even before becoming the star that he is now on the PGA Tour. But you've got this event with a, a huge purse. It doesn't make sense other than to have these players feel like, oh, I kind of got to come over. I mean, if you look at the last place prize money for the CIMB Classic, which is in the kind of $7 million range, it's I think $14,000 was pretty close to the, the final tally for, for last place, which I believe was DA points. So even after you book the flight, a couple thousand bucks, even after you book your hotel accommodations, which you probably get a, a decent rate on uh, no matter where, where they're staying, and you get a police escort and all this stuff. So uh, I'm sure that some of that was covered for them. And even after you pay your caddy, 
whatever you're going to pay him, you know, five percent for the week. So in DA's case, was that seven hundred bucks? Still come out ahead. There's no reason not to go, especially if you're someone who struggles for money. Relatively speaking, to your peers in terms of keeping uh, the card, and obviously you get FedEx Cup points, which is the measure now by which you keep your card. So why wouldn't you go? You're going to make money, and you're going to get FedEx Cup points no matter what. Done deal. Um, but I think that the thought here was for the CJ folks who have been huge in golf, they've made a huge investment in women's golf, particularly the KLPGA. They were a sponsor for uh, KJ Choi for a while. They were a sponsor for um, Sabri Pak for feels like forever. And they, they put their name on the best players from, the, from that country. And they wanted to have a big purse. They wanted to make a big splash. And I'm, I'm curious how this caliber field, you know, 20 to 22 top 50 players, will be received by them as, will this be a success? Is it a failure to have that number of players? Uh, with being a PGA Tour event now under the era of having the one in, their version of the 1-4 rule, they're going to get some, some players who are going to come and play in future years. I think that for guys like Thomas and, and Casey and guys who have played these events kind of anyhow, because they're, they're just, they love golf, and money's not bad. I, I think that they will be a little bit of a guinea pig, and they'll go to their friends and say, you know, on tour, this was a really good event, was well run. Uh, you saw Graham Dillette already post about the, the Korean hospitality and, and his really appreciation for it, and that seems like he's going to probably be back. I think that's important. You're going to hear that. Uh, and you're going to see that reverberate through players for next year. So when they do the, the 2018 version of this, you're going to get some guys who show up because they heard from their friends that this was a well, well-run event. Or if, it, if it's poorly run, which I doubt, then that'll be the, the response and you'll see fewer top 50 players. But I think generally speaking, the first year of the event, unless it's a WGC where... The tour's kind of like, you got to show up um, in the middle of the year, especially. Unless it's one of those, a new event kind of gets tepid response if it's not in the United States or if it's not in a convenient part of the schedule. And this event is two strikes against it in that it's the beginning of the season. It's in South Korea. So it's not an easy flight. And you're basically guaranteed to take two weeks out of your life because you're going to take a week off unless you're playing the next week in China for the HSBC. Uh, and if you're playing in the Sanderson Farms and you're trying to focus on that because that's the opposite field event next week against the HSBC champions, and you're thinking, all right, this is my my chance to score FedEx Cup points and money so that if I'm behind the eight ball with the reshuffle, I can do that here. Even if I'm eligible for those tournaments, um, I, I don't want to deal with that. And obviously that's, there's very little potential for that to happen because the way the field is set up, you pretty much got to be one of those guys who had a good year last year. And if you're new to the PGA Tour this year or just got off the web.com, you're unlikely to be able to get into this field. So for those guys, they're not worried about that trip, but it, it makes them ineligible to come down there with gusto, you know, like, hey, I just got my card, I'm going to come play for a $9 million purse. Next week they're going to play for, what, a $4 million, $4 or $5 million purse at the Sanderson Farms. Well, again, 
the best players who can take two or three of these weeks and play them, again, all guaranteed money, and FedEx Cup points to show up, uh, they get to kind of skate. You can, you know, if you're Brendan Steele who won the Safeway Open, he chose to go ahead and play the CIMB. He's skipping this week. Uh, I don't know if he's playing the HSBC champions, but if he does choose, he, he picked the two out of three he wants to play. And you can do the same thing uh, if you're a top player. You can choose to play none or all, but you're going to get money, you're going to come out ahead, and you're going to get FedEx Cup points, which those are good things for players who maybe fear their potential spot in the top 30, but if you're uh, even if you're a top player, you're still probably trying to play one of these just because it is a potential for a good amount of FedEx Cup points that doesn't leave you behind the eight ball when you get potentially, if you won last year, uh, to Kapalua in January. So it is interesting to see the development of the Asian swing, and we'll, we'll get a better idea over the next couple of years what that means to the top players, especially as there are more offerings. And I don't think that this is going to kind of be the end of it. I think there will be, in the end, four or five stops on the PGA Tour schedule that are in Asia at this time of year. And they will be important for the PGA Tour's international growth, but will they be important for the players themselves? I don't know. And that'll that'll be a curious aspect of this. As a golf fan in the United States, Malaysia is 12 hours ahead of the Eastern Time Zone. South Korea is 13 hours ahead. It's really hard. It's really hard. Uh, to watch golf late at night for me because I got two young kids. I want to fall asleep at 7 p.m. every day. I'm out of gas uh, between the day job and just being a parent. So for me, watching primetime golf isn't quite the same thing as it used to be. Now, if you don't have kids or maybe you have a better energy profile than I do, watching golf at 9, 10, 11, 12 Eastern, cool. That's great. I mean, it's playoff baseball season. You can flick back and forth between golf and Major League Baseball. The the NBA started last night. You can watch that. On Thursday nights, you can choose to subject yourself to what is typically a bad Thursday night football game. You can watch that. Uh, so there, you do have some options, but I don't feel like primetime golf this time of year necessarily makes it all that much more interesting as opposed to, say, in June when the USGA absolutely salivates to the prospect of having a West Coast Open and having major championship golf played in primetime. Having first-year tournament or no-cut tournament golf played in that period uh, doesn't quite have the same effect. And I, I've also kind of started to come to this notion that purses don't, they, they attract players, but I don't think that they mean anything to fans anymore. And I say that because the difference between an $8.5 million purse and a $10.5 million purse doesn't seem like a whole lot to the average person. I mean, $2 million for the field is a lot of money, and 18% of $2 million, 18% is what the typical payout is on the PGA Tour, the first place prize money winner. So that's, you know, $380,000. That's not chump change. Uh, excuse me, $360,000. That's not chump change, but does it matter? Does it make it interesting to me? No. And I think that's part of the reason why the FedEx Cup has kind of suffered, not, not because it's lousy, but the money doesn't have the same meaning that it used to. You say, oh, $10 million to the winner. That's cool. Um, Kirk Cousins, the quarterback from the Washington Redskins, is giving me $25 million this year. 
he's not that great in the red zone. Uh, there are better quarterbacks in the league making less money that are good in the scoring zone. So that that's what he's making. And you know what you got to go through to, to win the $10 million of the FedEx Cup? you got to play like 25 events. you got to play like 100 rounds of golf. And it might come down to one stroke. That's, I mean, the competition is cool, but the money doesn't mean as much. And I think that's the same, the same thing is true for fans and probably for players to some extent. There are now, I mean, if you put the money, put it all together, you have four majors, four WGCs, four FedEx Cup playoff events. You have the Invitationals, the the Palmer Invitational, and the Memorial. You've got other tournaments in Asia. So you have like 15 or 16 opportunities if you're a top-tier player to play for a purse that's at least $8 million, if not 9 or 10 or 12 in the case of the U.S. Open, million dollars. So for those guys, the idea of having a schedule littered with great potential paydays kind of makes it mean a little bit less to go and play in each one because you have half, your schedule can be entirely those or it can be partially those. It can be the right amount of those for you and what you're trying to accomplish with your schedule. So I've seen a lot of tweets in the last few days about, oh, well, you know, this, this purse is staggering. Why aren't more people there? That's because the money doesn't mean the same thing that it used to. And yes, there are changes in off-course money in terms of sponsorship. It's not the same for a lower-tier player trying to make money off of an equipment sponsorship to kind of defray costs, and then they can kind of make their salary based on what they earn on the golf course. It's, it, that's the reality for those players. But for the upper-tier players who are still getting good contracts to do all kinds of endorsement deals, whether it's equipment, whether it's something else like a consult salting firm or something like that. Uh, they they can pick and choose everything. And so you get these tournaments, now they're springing up, or they've been around five or six years, and you notice the increase in money every year. You also notice that the web.com tour purses are not really increasing at the same rate. Uh, if you look at the 2018 web.com tour schedule, I think I think it was two or three tournaments increased their prize money over last year. And it was by like $25,000. That's cool, but uh, it's not. you're not seeing that across-the-board increase. It's not what the PGA Tour is trying to accomplish. So I guess what I'm trying to say is when you hear, when you maybe get the sticker shock of, hey, it's a $9.25 million purse with no cut. Why wouldn't you go if you're a top player? It's because there are 15 other of those type events. They have cuts. I mean, obviously they have cuts in the majors and... The Players' Championship has a cut, and the FedEx Cup playoff events, two of them have a cut, but not really. I mean, if you're in the bottom 30 players at the Dell Technologies, you deserve to be cut. You know, stuff like that. So, I guess the the value of money is not going to mean the same thing to top-tier players. They care about schedule and flow. They don't care as much about all of that money that's available, because it's available ubiquitously. Uh, it's, and, and that golf, by the way, between top-tier players and the events that they have access to and lower-tier players who get into events like the Deer, which I love, but has a lower purse. Uh, look at, I mean, you can even look at the Texas Swing events, which have good purses, but relative to their peers in the kind of upper echelon 16 events that the PGA Tour has, of the 49 that they offer, you go, okay, well, I mean, I, those guys are buying the eight ball a little bit. Now, they're all playing for the same FedEx Cup points, more or less. 
Uh, the, the WGCs and majors obviously have, and, and the players have different FedEx Cup points, but by and large, you're playing for the same ones unless you're in the opposite field event. So there, there is a very distinct difference and a growing gulf between being a top-tier player and getting to pick and choose your schedule and being very comfortable financially and in terms of your status than being a B player who's kind of gets a taste of that good stuff sometimes, but not really. you got to kind of mix and choose. Or being in that C tier of player that you've got status, but it's kind of meaningless because you don't really get into events very often. You certainly don't get into good events unless it's a mass withdrawal. And you're playing typically opposite field events and lower tier money events. So you've got to play as often as you can, and you don't always know when you're going to get in. And it makes it more difficult. And that's kind of the point of the tour, right? You, if you're a good player, you're entrenched. Uh, to some extent, you kind of earned the right to be able to do what you want. But if you're a lower-tier player, it's getting harder and harder to be able to move up and avoid things like the Web.com Tour Finals and be able to create your schedule. It's, it's really interesting. Um, there, there's been talk over the years of trying to make it more difficult to keep your PGA Tour card, to get away from the top 125 and maybe go to the top 100 just because you would have less entrenchment of certain players, particularly those guys that kind of hang around 110, 115 every year. They're maybe in, they're maybe out, but they find a way. And I, I would actually support that. I would like to see it become more difficult to maintain your PGA Tour status through the FedEx Cup points list. And I would actually like to see that entrenched in the FedEx Cup playoffs. I would like to see if we're going to go to a three-event structure which is probably going to happen starting in the 2018-19 season. If that's the way that it goes, I would like to see only 100 players get into the FedEx Cup playoffs. And those are the 100 players that keep their card. And that's it. Everybody else, you're going to the web.com tour finals. And you can make it a little bit bigger. And maybe you take the top 50 players off the web.com tour schedule, regular season money list, and pair them with you know the, the 100 and, or you know, 100 together uh, players, 101 through 200 that didn't make the FedEx Cup playoffs. Then you worry about retreads and things like that. But I think that would be more interesting as a PGA Tour fan and give more potential opportunity to players on the Web.com Tour for the ability to get cards and move up and and go that way. So maybe, or maybe you say, okay, 100 to one, 101 to 175 get in the Web.com Tour finals. But if you finish worse than 175th, you're on the web.com tour. Like You don't get a chance to get your card back. You're going to the web.com tour. Make it a brutal cutoff. Make it the reality of golf. Because it, it it's extremely difficult for guys on the web.com tour to go through a highly competitive season of 20 events, limited access, limited possibilities, and ask them to kind of, okay, well, the top 25 are the only ones that get cards. I, I find that hard to swallow. I would like to see more cards for the web.com tour be a little bit more cutthroat down there than offering additional opportunities to get your card back through the web.com tour finals to guys who had just lackluster, horrible years on the PGA tour. I would like to see that. I think that a return to that would make it more interesting inherently for the web.com tour finals. It would be better for the players on the web.com tour. It, it would just be a better product all over. But that's a little bit, maybe too much minutia, but I think it would be interesting to see that kind of change. All right, that's going to do it for us this week on the show. Next time, we will dig a little bit into the WGC HSBC champions, what happened, and the end results of the second part of the Asian swing, 
and we'll get into some other stuff as well. Be sure to give us a five-star review if you listen to us on iTunes. It helps us reach more people. We always appreciate your feedback. Or get a hold of me uh, with your thoughts and questions about the show on Twitter at Ryan Ballingy or email Ryan at thegolfnewsnet.com. We're also now on the iHeartRadio app. You can just search for the 19th Hole Golf Show if you use that to listen to things. Tune in. I mean, pretty much every podcasting service you can imagine, we're on it if you prefer it. And actually, we just got an email about this yesterday from our friends at Spreaker who help us with iHeartRadio. You can listen to the 19th Hole Golf Show now on Alexa. Um, I'll give you more details about that with the next show, but this world is crazy right now. And it's pretty cool that you can be able to just tell Alexa to play the show and you'll be able to listen to us. So we'll, we'll give you more information about that if you... Uh, if you're a big Alexa fan, you use Amazon. All right. Until next time, I'm Ryan Balanchy saying thanks so much for listening and your support of our show and our site. And we'll catch you next time on the 19th Hole Golf Show.